Father, we thank you so much that we can come together and hear your word and that you speak to us, that you tell us about who you are and how it is that we can know you. And you tell us about how much you love us. And we pray that we'd understand this this morning so that we might all be alive with Christ. Amen. Well, one of my favourite Aussie sayings is, she'll be right. Uh, I think it just perfectly captures that Aussie confidence that, no worries, mate, she'll be right. We'll often say it when we come up with some sort of makeshift solution. So maybe you've got a broken car and with a bit of gaffer tape and cable tie and fence wire, you've been able to fix it, you sure? And as you're about to turn the key, someone will say, don't worry, mate, she'll be right. And the car gets turned. Or maybe we might say that she'll be right when we're feeling a bit nervous about something. So you've got that really achy tooth and you're worried about what it'll be doing. And so you say, well, I'll go to the dentist. And someone says, how are you feeling about going to the dentist? Oh, oh a bit dodgy. And I thought, well, don't worry, mate. She'll be right. Or maybe you're going to go for a, a job interview and uh, you're not really sure how it'll go. And uh, someone says, she'll be right. Or a first date, she'll be right. Or medical results, she'll be right. But sometimes we'll say she'll be right when we actually know she won't be right, but we'll just be blindly optimistic. So I do wonder how many famous last words are actually she'll be right. It's kind of like, Bruce, are you sure that's safe? Yeah, she'll be right. I think that when it comes to Judgment Day, a lot of Aussies also think she'll be right. She'll be right. Don't worry about it, mate. It's all under control. She'll be right. And that's because they reckon that their performance in in life is, to use another Aussie expression, not bad. I love it how Aussies say, how are you? We don't say good, we say not bad. (laughs) It's awesome. Not bad, she'll be right, don't worry about it. I wasn't worrying about it. Okay, good, good. (laughs) We reckon that she'll be right when it comes to Judgment Day because we're not bad and it's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. But if you think that the way that you will perform on Judgment Day is because of how you have performed in your life, then she'll be right is not the right attitude. Because if you think that you've spent your whole life ignoring God and that she'll be right, then you've got one hell of a problem. Because the Bible makes it very clear that by nature, we're not right at all. We're not right at all. Even though we think we're pretty good, the problem is we're pretty bad. And not only are we pretty bad, we're actually pretty dead. In the book that we're looking at at the moment in Ephesians, right here in chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we're going to see a lovely little makeover. I love those shows where you see the before and the after. We're going to see the before and the after of a person who has decided to follow Jesus. The first half is going to be the what it was like before, once we were like this. And the second half is going to be what it is like now. So have a look with me. I'm going to read these 10 verses out to us. It's up on the screen there. And have a look and see if you can spot the before and then spot the after. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for that. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Did you see the transformation? The before and then the after. Let's jump in a bit more and have a closer look. It starts with verse 1, which says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. This is the before picture, before a person comes to trust Jesus. And the before picture shows that they were dead. Not just a little bit sick, not just a little bit confused, not just a little bit rebellious, but fully dead, spiritually dead in God's sight. Most Aussies think she'll be right, mate. No worries. Uh, It reminded me uh, of the famous Monty Python sketch where someone went to a shop and bought a parrot that was dead. And when the man comes back to the shop and he says, you've sold me a parrot that's dead. And the shopkeeper says, he's not dead, he's resting. He's pining for the fjords. We are a little bit like dead parrots. We think we're alive, but really we are spiritually dead. We think we're just a little sick, a little tired, but we are far worse by nature. If you've never told Jesus that you're sorry for ignoring him, if you've never said to him, Jesus, will you be my loving king? The problem is that the Bible says that you're spiritually dead. Not a little weak, not a little confused, not a little bit wobbly, but spiritually dead. We are born as natural rebels. It's kind of like we're born with a crown on our heads and we have said to God, I do not want you to be king of the world. I want to be my own king. It's kind of like we are tenants living in someone else's home. And then suddenly you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I've always wanted to own a house like this. Why don't I say it's mine? And so you call in the locksmiths and they change the locks and you knock out a wall and paint a few things and, and, and you tell everybody, look at my house, which is all very nice until the, the owner comes around and has a bit of an inspection and the keys don't work and then says, what the heck's happening? Uh, You can invent it, but it's not a reality. This rebellion the Bible calls sin. 
It's when we act in disobedience to God. It's when we think that we are king of the world, but really God is the king of the rule and ruler of the world. And why does he have a right to do that? It's because he made the world. It's where it all comes back to. See, people say, oh, the world just happened. Well, I don't think that for a second. I don't think if you've really got your head screwed on that you just say this is just a big accident, really. So because God made it, he's got a right to rule it. And the good thing is he's a loving ruler, so he's not a bad tyrant. He actually wants what's best for us. But the problem is we have naturally rejected him and said, no, thanks. I want to be the ruler of my own life. I know I'm in your house, but I actually want to be the one who acts like I own it and I rule it. And God won't let that continue. But not only are we rebels against God, it actually says that we're also, by nature, followers of the devil. This is a bit intense. I'm not making this up. This is what it says. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Now, you might not see your life that way, but God does. The bottom line is we all either follow Jesus or the devil. This is what the stark before picture looks like. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then you're following the devil. You might think, oh, I don't think I am. Well, God says you are. And you might not think that you're being controlled by him, but this is just part of his bag of dirty tricks. He rules those who have rejected Jesus. And so you obey him when you disobey Jesus. That's why when we think, she'll be right, mate, we're kidding ourselves. But it's not just you. It's actually everybody who was like that. That's what Paul says to these Christians that he's writing when he says this is what it was like before. And he says also this. He says all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's the before story. We used to follow our passionate and de- passionate desires and inclinations. You see, the problem was before we were followers of Jesus, we were a disaster. Not just a little troubled or a little wobbly or needing a bit of direction or some spiritual self-improvement. We were a disaster. It's a little bit like if you've got a sore tummy and you go and see the doctor and it's just a sore tummy and they say, well, we should do some tests. And they do some tests and they say, well, we need to do some more tests. And they do some more tests and they realise that you have got cancer. And you say, prove it. And they show you the films and you say, oh, there are those little dots there and the big dot there. And you say, I don't believe it. See, if you do that, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, it's true. And God is able to see inside your heart like a massive cosmic CT machine. And he can see what you're like. And he's telling you like right now what it is like. And that's you might find this hard to hear, but I, I, like a doctor who's telling you the results from pathology, I'm telling you what God sees you like and what the problem is. But not only 
Are we spiritually dead and having this problem? We are following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. That's what it says. See, we as humans like to think that we've actually got a fair bit of self-control, that we can control ourselves. But really, deep down, the Bible says we're a lot like animals. We've got two little poodles at home. And when the doorbell rings, they bark. They bark. They have this, this bark that is like a resonant frequency in our house. It's like it's not just a bark, it's a bark. The whole house is like feedback. And, and we know that the, the dog knows that they've got a job. I have to tell you when someone rings the bell. It's like, dogs, I heard the bell too. And they go running and they go, woof, 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 woof. And we say, stop. They say, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Woof, 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 woof. Sorry, it's like stop. Sorry, sorry. Woof, woof, woof. They just can't stop. It's like we get the picture. And the first thing we say to people when they come to their door is, "Sorry about the dogs. Hi, yeah, welcome. How can we help you?" We're trying. We're trying. They're lovely dogs. They're only young. They'll grow out of it, won't they? Anyway, we are a bit like those dogs. We want to just listen to the doorbell ring and say, "I'm in control." There's a person at the door. I'm cool with that. But we can't. We're like, we can't stop. We are by nature. Our sinful nature is full of passionate desires and inclinations, and they are all against God by nature. And that leads to a big problem. Verse 3b, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. This is the before, if you're a follower of Jesus, the before... But if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it's the now for you. You are subject to God's anger. You think, why would God be angry with me? I haven't done anything wrong to deserve that. Well, yes, you have. You're like the tenant in the house and says to the landlord, get lost. You're like a child who says to the parents who, who loved them, who brought them up and gave them everything to say, get lost. And God, by nature, has every reason to be angry at us, and he is. God is angry at you if you're not his friend. Don't think you'll turn up to heaven and he'll, and you can just say, she'll be right, mate. Because God will say, she's not right, mate. We are all born as natural enemies of God and he's angry at us. And on our own, we would be hopeless. And if I was to sit down now and say, okay, let's sing a nice song and have some morning tea. That's a bad, bad talk from the Bible, right? It's, I want to give you the good news. And it's all good from here. And the invitation is for you, if you don't yet know Jesus, to be part of the after and not the before. Have a look at this verse. I love this one. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much. Wow. Just wow. Full of mercy. Full of love. God is so rich in mercy. See, mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. And it's when you do get what you don't deserve. You know, we've told the landlord of the universe that we don't want to pay him rent. He's got every reason to be angry with us. 
We've rejected our creator who has handcrafted every one of us. And we've told him to get lost. No wonder he's angry at us. But what does he do with that anger that is righteous? What does he do with the punishment that we deserve? He shows us mercy. Mercy. It's almost too good to be true. And yet as we were dead and rebellious, serving the devil, rejecting the creator, he showed us mercy. But why? What would motivate him to show us this mercy? It's so simple and it's so beautiful. What does it say? It says, and he loved us so much. He loved us so much. My grandmother and also my nana, I had two, they both used to sing a song to me. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Jesus loves me, this I know. I have known that since I was a baby. The time my mum and dad didn't know Jesus, but my grandparents did, and they told me about Jesus. And I always knew that he loved me. And if you don't believe that, read it right here in the Bible. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it's so good because we don't need to guess what God thinks of us. We know that if we haven't trusted in him yet that he's angry with us. But it's whilst we were his enemies that he showed us love. And there it is for you. I, uh, I did a bit of an internet search recently on what the Quran says about the love of Allah for Muslims. I just thought, ah... I was sort of, I had ideas about what it said. Let me have a look. And I found a particular page on the internet that listed a whole lot of different verses from the Quran that showed that Allah loved Muslims. Okay, that's interesting. And as I was reading that, I I tried to see what they said about that. And, And the first one that said, Allah loves those who do good. And I read a bit more. Allah loves those who fear God. And then Allah loves those who are observing purity, one after the other. But nowhere does it say that Allah loved his people when they hated him. That Allah loved his people when they rejected him. Allah loved his people when they were sinful against him, impure. If someone says to you that all religions are the same, I would suggest that they don't know about any religions because they are not the same. The thing about Christianity that is mind-blowing and stands apart from everything else is that Jesus loved us when we hated him. Get your head around that. This is love. This is mercy. This is grace. This is true love. And the good news then is that if you are not yet friends with Jesus, there is hope. Because look at what believers in Jesus were like before we were his friend. Verse 5, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. 
We were dead because of our sins. But as we were dead, he brought us to life, eternal life. But why? Well, we know it's because of his love. But how? How did he do that? Well, we got new life when Jesus was raised. We got new life when Jesus came back to life, that very first Easter Sunday. He gave his life so that he would take God's anger instead of us. He did this amazing swap. He swapped his innocence for our guilt. He swapped his perfection for our sin. He swapped his life for our death. And when God raised him from the dead on day three, it showed his success. He defeated death. He took our sin and he gave us new life with him. Uh, you know what? A, what you, you want to see a symbol of hope? For some people, it, it might be a little vial that has the word COVID vaccine on it. That, that's a bit of hope, isn't it? Is it going to work? Not sure. We live in hope. You want to see what hope really looks like? It's the empty tomb. They went in there on Easter Sunday morning to prepare Jesus' body for burial. And they look in there and they say, look, it's gone. Someone's taken it? No, not at all. God has raised Jesus to life. There is our hope. We got new life when Jesus was raised. But how is it that why is it that he would do that for us? Well, verse 5b, it is only by God's grace you've been saved. It's a free gift, no strings attached. A free gift, no strings attached. It's not because you're attractive. It's not because you're intelligent. It's not because you're strong. It's not because you're masterful with your hands. It's not because you're fast. Because when you're dead, it doesn't matter how attractive, intelligent, strong, fast or good with your hands you are. Grace is a totally free thing. And by grace, God saved us. You might wonder whether you are good enough or smart enough or kind enough that God would love you. If you're wondering whether or not you're good enough, you're thinking the wrong thing. That's not the issue. And if you're thinking maybe you might be too bad or rude or angry or you've got those skeletons in the closet that only you and God know about and you think that between the two of you there's no chance he'd win you over. Think again. It doesn't matter because it's all about God. It's all about grace. It's all a free gift. And he raised us by grace to new life. Verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And he seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. When Jesus was raised from the dead, we were too. 
God raised us from the dead along with Jesus. This is what it means to be connected with Christ, to be united with Christ, to be in Christ. We are totally connected to Christ. Everything he's got, we got too. We are all in it together. We are all on, in a sense, that journey with Jesus. Dead, raised, and now seated in the heavenly realms. When uh, my kids were much younger and it was summertime and we were in a pool, I remember sort of bouncing them along, the little babies in my arms. And I'd say to them, okay, on the count of three, hold your breath. You ready? One, two, three. And I'd jump out like this and they'd sort of give me that look of horror. Their pupils die like, one, two, three. Yeah, we come. <laughs> a third time, no, Dad, no, Dad. And, then, and usually, uh, no, one more time, and then Mum looks and what are you doing with the kids? And it's all right. <laughs> Together, we went into the ground, and we rose, and, uh, and you know, I could have been sent straight to heaven at that spot. Of, you know, like, what are you doing with our kids? It's kind of like that we're strapped to Jesus' body almost. You know, When he died, we died. When he rose... We came to life with him. And now he is seated in the heavenly realms. It's a bit weird. You might not remember Easter quite that way. I don't remember being there. Well, spiritually you were. But just because it's spiritual doesn't mean it's not real. It is totally real. You are united with Christ. You are with him. Everything he's got, you've got, if you've trusted in him. How good is that? And as we look back in time... To that first Easter and what God has done for his people, this will give us hope. And boy, don't we know we need a fair bit of that right now. Have a look at this. Verse 7. So God can point to us in, future, in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago to a bunch of Christians over there in the Middle East somewhere, right? And he's saying, you know, in thousands of years to come, there's going to be a bunch of people sitting in a church building in Jamboree and a bunch of other people connecting up via Facebook Live, and they are going to be hearing about how we became followers of Jesus, and that is going to give them great encouragement. And it does. And what's more, we here in this room and in the hall and over in Facebook land, we as followers of Jesus who have been turned around by grace will be the ones that future people will look back and say, look at what God did. That's why it was so lovely to have Di to come up and share what God had done in her life as a testimony to his wonderful power and the way of transforming her. And I love it when people share like that. It's wonderful. But in a sense, the greatest thing of all, even above that, is that we might look back to that first Easter. See, we as Christians are obsessed with Easter all year round. I mean, we love Christmas. Who doesn't love Christmas? Christmas is when God became a man, and what a miracle that is. But we get the tree out, and we put the baubles, and we get the tinsel, and then it's like Christmas time, and then we take them all down. But I tell you what, we don't take down the Easter celebrations. We don't take down the Easter decorations. They're around us all the time. Because at the cross and the empty tomb, we know that we have hope. 
And because we are united with Christ, in Christ, we get access to all his grace and kindness. We get, in a sense, unlimited downloads, access all areas, all you can eat, unlimited wealth. And it all comes as part of the pack and pack. I'll get this right. The passion package. It's hard to say quickly. It all comes as part of the passion package. The Easter passion. The package that comes from that first Easter. When you come to Jesus and follow him as your loving ruler, you are connected with him. You are united with him. And everything Jesus has, we have. You have. But what did it cost? Have a look at verse 8. It's a a familiar theme. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Grace is totally a gift from God, not from us. We can't take credit for it. So if one of my sons said to me, you know, oh, look, the best thing I ever did was choosing to live in Jamboree. I'd say, well, mate, it's pretty good to live in Jamboree. We love it, don't we? But... I seem to remember that mum and I made that choice and you just were told to pack your bags and move, right? Yeah, okay. You can't really say it was your choice to move to Jamboree then. No, not really, okay. It's a good thing though, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's great. See, we might say, oh, well, the best choice I ever made. You know, I, 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 uh, I know what I did to follow Jesus and, and, and I'm just so smart and I'm just so nice and that's why... It, no, it doesn't really work that way either. We can't take credit for it. Ultimately, it is by grace. It is a gift from God. And what's more, verse 9, salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. I wish that more people knew these things right here on the screen right now, that salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. I reckon most Aussies, you say, why should you get salvation from God? They say, well, I reckon I've done some good things. And what does God say to that? Right there. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Oh, but I reckon then, you know, because I've done some good things, she'll be right. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. Oh, so she won't be right. No, not if it's about you and what you've done. You can't boast about it. It is all a gift from God. And the amazing thing is that right now in this room, if you walked into this room not sure if you're friends with Jesus, and right now you are aware of the fact that she's not right, she's not good between you and God, then by God putting that on your heart right now, he is leading you to the point where you can actually say, would you forgive me? Would you make me your friend? Would you give me eternal life? And you know that when that happens, it's not because of what you've done, either good or bad. This is good news, friends. Aren't you glad you're here with us today? It's good news, and none of us can boast about it at all. You know, you you get picked for a sporting team. You get picked for a sporting team if you're good at that sport. But that's not how it works with salvation. You get picked for a job if you're suitably skilled and qualified. But that's not how it works with salvation. When it comes to salvation, you get picked as a gift. 
you can't earn it, you can't work for it, you can't strive for it. You get saved by grace alone. And to top it all off, have a look at these final two sentences from this last verse. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's a nice way to think about ourselves, isn't it? We are God's masterpiece. You'd say, I reckon those whales are pretty amazing, and, and those, the escarpment, as you turn around and leave the church and look at it in its beauty, you say, well, that's a masterpiece. But humans... Saved humans. We are God's masterpiece. We are what He cherishes. We are the ones that He loves above all else. And that is a beautiful thing to know, isn't it? But what's really interesting about this verse is that once you've become a follower of Jesus, even what you do after that are not from your own goodness. They come from God as well. So that we can do the good things he planned for us so long ago. Even our good works come from God. I mean, I, I see some wonderful good works of followers of Jesus around the place. I see what many of you do and I praise God for you, to God and to you as well. There's all these other little things I don't see, of course, and God knows them and so on. What led you to do those good works? God did. And it's a lovely kind of sense of assurance that you think, wow, I did something nice then. To be perfectly honest, I don't think I would have got out of bed to do that if it wasn't God pushing me out. You know, yeah, he's working through me. And that can be a lovely sense of assurance. Even the good works that we do after we are saved by grace come from his grace. His grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home from grace to grace. Well, let's sort of tie up a few loose ends here. This whole section of the Bible has been talking about followers of Jesus. It said, this is what you were like before, but wow, look at what's happened. And if you are a person here who is a follower of Jesus, that's your story. You were once dead. You were once rebels. You were once enemies of God. But now he has saved you because of his grace. But maybe you in this room, one of you, I don't know how many, I don't know who you are, but it might be that deep down in your heart you think, I suspect the before story is still my now story. I actually think there's a possibility that I am not friends with God and I am not loved by God because I'm his enemy and I really want to know his love and I want to experience his forgiveness and I want to know his grace. The good news is you can, in a moment's time, switch over so that your present state is now your past and your new state is as a saved person, assured of your faith, certainty for eternity. Because the reality is you can't say she'll be right if you're spiritually dead. So why don't we sort that out today? 
How do you do that? Well, I've given you a bit of an idea along the way, but here's a little prayer I've written. Let me read it to you first before we do anything with it. It says, Dear God, sorry I have disobeyed you. You might want to say this. Sorry I've disobeyed you. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you that Jesus died and rose for me. Please help me to follow you forever. Amen. It's a pretty short little prayer. But can you kind of get the feeling that if you were to say that to God for the first time and really mean it, that you can understand how he would then say, okay, you're now with me. You're saved. You are alive with Christ. And that's the truth. So what I want to do today is I want to ask you to turn to Jesus and call him your king if you haven't done that. I know it's a big step. I know it's a massive commitment. In, in, in a sense, it's a bigger commitment than a mortgage or a marriage. But there's no more important decision that you can ever make. You can make it when you're young. You can make it when you're old. doesn't matter. It's about someone who realises that you are caught in a rip and you are in distress and you raise your hand and say, Lord, save me. And he will do that. How do you want to do this? Well, what I want to do is I want to have us read this out together. If you're already a follower of Jesus, you can say all these words. It's a great little prayer, pithy little prayer. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, maybe you want to say these words out aloud as well with us. Maybe today you want to say these words right now. And when you have uttered them with your lips then you can know that you are saved, that you are alive with Christ. And no matter what happens, no matter what this year 2020 turns out to be for you, it can be the year of your new birth in Christ. Let's say these words together. I'd love you to say them. If you're not yet a follower, why don't you say them to become a follower of Jesus? And if you are a follower, then say them out aloud with me. Dear God, Sorry that I have disobeyed you. Please forgive me for my sins. Thank you that Jesus died and rose for me. Please help me to follow you forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Trip.